Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Inside Out Money, a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help improve your financial mindset and tactics. And today I'm here with my favorite co-host. I think I can say that since I married you. Greg, welcome. Hey, glad to be here today. Okay, I like that energy, Greg. So we are talking about love and money, communication, so, Greg, I don't know if I told you this, but we actually had a listener request this topic. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they specifically said, this is from Fire the Cubicle, which is an Instagram handle. I think you and Greg should do an episode and tell the story about how you met and how did you start talking about finances. It could be a mix of a love story and finance content. Okay. So we're going to pretty much do exactly what this person asked for. But we're going to start with some very tactical money tips on how to improve financial communication in your relationship. And then we're going to wrap it up with our money story. And let's jump in and get started. Well, before we get to some of our tips, maybe it would be helpful to talk about why this matters and why it's important to have strong communication related to finance and why this is just so important in most relationships. Yeah, I think that's great. So, you know, I'm one, I, I could rattle off like 50 different stats, but I'll keep it very high level. I actually just heard a stat that I, I don't even think I told you, Greg, but we are, we are at FinCon in New Orleans this week, it, recording this from our hotel room in case anyone cares. I should add our windowless hotel room, but we'll get into that later. I heard a stat that one of the closing speakers shared, and it was that 54% of people had have admitted to crying about the state of their finances or something money related. I'm surprised it's that low, honestly. Have you ever cried about money? I don't think I have, but that doesn't seem like an inconceivable thing to cry about. I mean, yeah. of all the things, it's a huge topic. So yeah, yeah I'm, su I'm not surprised that it's that high and kind of thought it might be higher. I, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a number of stats, but I had never heard that stat specifically yeah. about crying about your money. And I agree, it's not inconceivable in any way. And I shouldn't lead with, have we cried about money? Because we've led fairly privileged lives. Okay, the National Endowment for Financial Education, also known as NEFE or NEF, I don't know what they call themselves, N-E-F-E, reported in a survey that 68% of participants admitted to hiding money from their partner, which I think is crazy. We'll talk about that later, which can contribute to marital issues and potentially even lead to divorce. The same survey also found that 88% of respondents reported that financial stress had a negative impact on their mental health. Also not a shocking stat, but it's a pretty high number. Yeah. This is from another survey by the American Psychological Association. 64% of adults in the United States reported that money is a significant source of stress and is listed as a higher stressor than work, family responsibilities, or health concerns. 
And also 86% of couples report that they argue about money. And lastly, a study published by the journal Sex Roles revealed that couples who experience financial stress are more likely to report reduced sexual satisfaction. That's motivation right there. That's a big motivation. And again, not a shocking, I mean, it's interesting when you see it on paper, but it's, it's not shocking, right? I mean, if you are experiencing financial stress between two couples, it's then hard to shift from that into being intimate. So it's really, you think about the reasons why you want to improve this, and obviously it's to improve your bottom line, but Clearly, it's going to help with mental health, stress, your relationship, intimacy of your relationship. You just talked about improving the bottom line, and I feel like there's some sort of joke there since we're talking about (laughs) about sex right now. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm just going to leave it out in the atmosphere. You make your own jokes from that, okay? But (laughs) Insert inappropriate joke here. Insert something in the bottom line, right? (laughs) We'll be here all day, folks. Okay. So if we haven't lost you yet, we are going to jump into some very tactical tips. But I do want to preface all of this with saying a couple things. One, it is incredibly common that you are not in a good place with talking to your partner about finances. We just shared all those stats. The majority of people are not in a good place based on all that data. So I say that to say, like, don't beat yourself up. This is super hard, right? And so we're going to get into some things that will hopefully improve it and make it less hard. And then the other thing is the earlier you get aligned on all this stuff in a relationship, the better. And I've gone as far as to say, like, we did a Friends on Fire episode. Greg, I don't know if you remember this because you didn't always listen to the Friends on Fire episodes. But we did an episode and we talked a lot about some similar topics. But one of the things I said is I was like, I would... It would be a difficult for me if I was early on in a relationship, I would be very concerned if I couldn't have good financial communication with my partner. It would be a huge red flag to me. And so I just put that out there to say, like, if you are early on in a relationship, like start trying to do this stuff and see how it goes. And that's a good test for you and your partner to just see how you can communicate in general. Because again, there's a lot of things you need to communicate about for a healthy relationship. Money is just one of them. So start early, start often, and also So this is hard. Yeah, I totally agree with those points. I think it sets a good foundation for later in the relationship if you can start with those conversations early. Yeah. So really good points. So the first piece of advice is to set regular money dates or conversations. So schedule some time, whether it's weekly or monthly, to really talk about your financial goals, your progress. Are you meeting those goals? How is your spending? Uh, That is a big thing that we do. We have regular conversations and Every week, we kind of have a mini check-in where we just go through our expenses. We do a lot of expense tracking. So there'll be questions about, you know, hey, Maggie, what was this expense for? How do we categorize it? So we do that weekly. That's very kind of informal. But hey, Greg, I should say, though we do it weekly, in full disclosure, we though we have tried to set things on the calendar, we don't have like a set time we do it. And that works for us. So we're pretty disciplined about just doing it at some point throughout the week. And maybe we miss a week, but we then catch up the next week. If you're not, actually set a... This is like a lot of things, right? If you're disciplined... Do it however you need to do it. If you're not going to be as disciplined about it, put it on your calendar and make it an actual date and something that you guys, you know, stick to as as best as possible. Yeah, and we do actually have a monthly conversation on the calendar. We don't often meet during that time, but it's still a good reminder that, oh, it's that 
you know, it's been a month. We need to sit down and talk about some things. And during that monthly conversation, ideally, I have kind of finalized our expenses for the month. We can sit down and we can say, hey, we spent reasonable spending in these categories, but we were way over in this category. And that helps us adjust our spending going forward. Because sometimes you really just need that reminder. Hey, we ate out a lot this month. We're not trying to beat ourselves up. Yeah. And like, how do we feel about it? Sometimes we're like, oh, we had a lot of really fun social engagements and like, good for us. Right. And then other times we're like, we didn't really enjoy that. And so let's be more thoughtful about when and how we want to you know, spend that money eating out. Yeah. So this has been a really helpful one for us. And we think it's a really important practice for couples to start doing if you're not already. Yeah. Okay. The second tip is be open and honest, which means no secrets. Greg, I mentioned this term to you this morning over breakfast and you had never heard it, but there's a term called financial infidelity, which I've been hearing a lot lately. I think it's a bit of a buzz term trending right now, but it's just the idea of doing anything financially behind your partner's back from secret debt to secret spending that you're not telling them about and they find out about later to um, siphoning off resources and and saving money that you're not telling them about because you're afraid that they're going to spend it or do something responsible with it. So whatever it might be. But the idea here is you really should practice complete transparency. So talk about your financial history. Talk about how you grew up with money, if that's relevant to different discussions you're having. You should be sharing all of your, you know, debts and assets and again, talking about your spending habits and, you know, what's working well for you and what's not working. I think that vulnerability and being vulnerable with each other around your finances is really important and is just an essential part of being able to communicate well. And I think it breeds more vulnerability, right? So when your partner's vulnerable with you and you react to it and accept it nicely and well and in a safe space, I think they're way more willing to share more with you in the future. Yeah, I agree completely. We'll share this more when we get to the end of this episode and talk about kind of our money story and how we deal with our finances, because we do technically have separate finances, but we have complete transparency. So both of us can see everything the other person's spending. It all goes into Mint. I know, you know, from the beginning of our relationship, we knew how much, you know, debt one of us had or how much assets the other person had, whatever it might be. Now, I will say from the beginning, wasn't the first date. So there is something here back to the whole point about trying to have these financial conversations early in a relationship. I'm not suggesting on the first date you ask someone how much debt they have and, you know, what their assets are. Not at all. But by the third date, definitely it's by the all third fair. date. Yeah. Back to the sex comment. Like definitely before you have sex with someone, you could get in you could go deep on finances, you know. Just kidding. You can do that in whatever order you would like. But I do think there is something of you you know, you start small and work your way up, right? You you don't need to ask, you know, the big uncomfortable questions about, you know, how many assets somebody has early on in a relationship but you will you should start to understand you know when you're let's say you're going on your first vacation with somebody you're dating it's very appropriate to say like hey do you have enough money for this like are you paying for this are you putting it on credit cards like how are you financing this vacation and I always think about this story that Rich and Regular told about one of the first big fights that they got in which was when Julian found out that Kirsten put a vacation they went on together on a credit card and didn't have the money to pay for it at the time. And that caused a lot of stress and anxiety because he was then worried about her financial habits in the future and her 
just the, the way she handled money and it not being aligned with what was important to him. But for them, it was early enough in their relationship that they had some really important discussion. And so I just think that the idea of, you know, open and honest communication is very important. The next tip that we think is important, and this really goes beyond financials. This is just a good tip on how to communicate with each other, but certainly also in the context of finances is to use I statements. Pretty straightforward, but to say that I feel this way. I feel worried about our budget. I feel concerned about this level of spending as opposed to saying you spend too much. You are not being responsible. I feel concerned that we're not being as responsible. It creates such a different tone. It's not blaming. It's we're together this concerns me, let's talk about it, as opposed to saying, you are doing this, you are the problem. So it's very small, but it really can help open up a conversation in a constructive way, as opposed to starting it from a place of blame, which is, you know, once someone is feeling blamed or feeling defensive, accused, uh, it's just going to be a little harder to start that conversation. Well, it puts them on the defense. Uh, They're they're defensive at that point. It's really hard to have a a productive conversation with someone, even someone you love, when you've immediately put someone on the defense and attacked them. Here's the thing I get confused about with this, because this is very common guidance, if you will. You want to, it's the idea of you want to use an I statement versus you. But then what if I say like, I feel stressed when you spend so much money, Greg. It's like an I and a you statement. I think I'm supposed to keep Mm -hmm. it very focused on me and not like, you don't just throw the you after the I is just my point. Yeah. I mean, certainly you could, I think it's the spirit of it that we need to think about. I mean, yes, you could say, I am upset because you are terrible with your money. Well, that's still very blaming That's like a IU sandwich, (laughs) right? But you could say, I feel stressed about money. Can we talk about this? Yeah. I'm very stressed. And then let them ask you a question. And then, you know, like, and a lot of this is just the, the, how you initiate a discussion. Right. Another tip is to establish shared approaches and goals. So this is something you can do during your regular money dates that we already talked about, but it's just the idea to start up front to work together to define some very common financial objectives. So you've got all these other things of, you know, money dates, the language you're using, but use those things combined with this to have conversations and create some shared goals. So this could be that you're trying to pay off debt together, that you are trying to save up to purchase a home together. It could be that you're planning for retirement. With you and me, Greg, at one point it was that we started talking about FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. We started talking about that and we'll get more into that when we talk about our own money story. But we had many conversations where we weren't always perfectly aligned but we slowly got to a place where we had some shared approaches and goals. And it really, for me, I definitely felt closer to you because we now had this like big audacious goal that we were working on together. Right. Or if your goal is to pay off debt and there's a lot of advice on what type of debt to pay off first and the way you work it down. So we're not covering that in this episode, but decide on that together. Hey, we are going to attack this credit card first because it has the highest interest rate. And then we're going to go to this debt. And then we are going to go here. So again, have a plan together. And it's so empowering when you both have a goal and you're working towards it. Obviously, you're working together towards that. And then it creates a shared sense of a victory when you do achieve that, that goal. You both have contributed to it and you both feel some accomplishment, which can, which can really create some positive, what's the word I'm looking uh, for? Like momentum. Momentum, yeah. Towards your, your shared goals. 
So again, with those shared approaches and goals, figure out what works for you, what feels right for you. There's no one way to do this. Another piece of advice within that is even if you have a really strong view of where you want to get to with your goals and you think you're the person that might be better at finances in your relationship, don't steamroll the other person. You know, like go into that conversation again with I statements and get to a shared view of things. Even again, if you go in saying like, well, I know how we need to do this. Don't start that way. Cause again, it's going to put the other person on the defense. And I used to think this at work all the time, right? Like you want it to, you want the other person to think it was their idea. So I'm not saying like trick them. I'm just saying be gentle as you go into that discussion, because if you come in a little too hot, it definitely could turn off the other person. And again, get them on the defense and not have it feel like it's a positive discussion and, and something that you're working on together. It would feel like it's something that you're making them work on. And that's, I don't think, a helpful way to go into this. I agree. The next tip falls right in line with shared goals and approaches is create a joint budget. Create a budget that accommodates those goals and includes both partners' input. The type of budget, the detail, really could vary by couple. Some people have very hard budgets. Others have a looser budget. They maybe only budget certain spending categories. Either way, figure out what's right for you as a couple based on your goals uh, that you've now set out together and use that budget to, to help achieve those goals. And it's really a tool. So it's, in essence, the first tip or the last tip we gave was the goals. The budget is really the tool to help achieve those goals. And so, as I mentioned earlier, when we meet monthly, we review spending uh, in certain categories. So we don't review our entire budget per se, but there's certain categories that we really do dig into because uh, they're more discretionary. We want to see how we're doing and if we are keeping in line with, with our original uh, budgets. Yeah. And I, I've talked a lot about like, I'm not as big of a fan of budgeting as I am of expense tracking. And they're often one and the same, but they are two different activities. And so at the very least, I really encourage everyone to do expense tracking together as a couple and figure out, like Greg said, what your system is. We love Mint. We've talked about it in many episodes. We've got an old Friends on Fire episode on budgeting versus expense tracking that we can put in the show notes also. Another tip is within all of the things we just talked about from expense tracking to having the you know regular money dates and shared goals and approaches, allocate what the financial responsibilities are going to be in your relationship and in your household. And so divide those financial responsibilities based on each of your strengths, partners and preferences and interests. This could include stuff like who pays the bills, who handles investments, who does the expense tracking. Like I was trying to think of some good examples for us. Like in our house, Greg, you do all the mint expense tracking, which is super tedious. And I frequently said, thank you so much for doing it. And I do, what do I do? Well, you pay a lot of the bills. I pay a lot of the bills, yeah. You are very helpful with, even though I do the reconciliation of the expenses, one thing that you've developed a good habit around is saving receipts and even documenting, you know, this portion of this expense should be this category. This yeah. is this category. So making it easier for me to do some of that expense reconciliation at the end of the month. Yeah. I, I do some of our kind of longer term planning and discussions definitely. on investments also, which we each have kind of some of our own investments, but I'm definitely more active in that space. And then even like, I mean, when we talk about, we did a rental property episode and we talked about this, you pretty much do all the financial stuff on the rental property. And I do all the marketing and like customer involvement. And then we split a lot of the like DIY work and, and some of the, you know, repairs and things like that. But I think it's important. I mean, we, we've sort of naturally fallen into what we enjoy doing, but 
there's there have been times that we've had conversations to validate that we're kind of okay in the roles we've naturally fallen into and we'll have conversations recognizing like oh this actually worked out really well like you seem to you're really good on the rental properties at doing the quarterly statements and you do the ta- oh the other thing financial wise is like you do our taxes so i provide a lot of the documentation for it which is a lot of the work of taxes also but you actually do all the taxes and you do the heavy lifting there which is also a lot of work so yeah. thank you well and i think that's just even talking about the taxes, it's a good just example of responsibilities. Yes, I am, I am the one putting the taxes in TurboTax, but you understand that when I say I'll do the taxes, it doesn't mean that I am able to scour through everything of yours and understand, you know, you have a very active role in that. And so that some of that is just what we're talking about. It's just having that conversation. Hey, honey, I am happy to file the taxes. Can you help me with this, this, and this? Can you go back in and find these business expenses and document what they were for? You know, just having that conversation so that the person who says I'll do the taxes isn't then feeling like they're on their own and resentful. And the other partner's thinking, well, they said they were going to do it. I don't understand why they're frustrated. So again, it's just those conversations of those nuances. When I say I'm going to do this, I still need your help here. And just having conversations about that is very important. I think the other thing I would note around allocating financial responsibilities is there might be one person in a relationship that really it's not their skill set and they don't want to do any of it. So it doesn't mean that it needs to be 50-50 because as an example, this is kind of a made up example, right? But like you take on a lot of the mint expense tracking and that is very tedious and it's a lot of work. But I also do a lot of the like household management stuff. I guess this actually is a real example, right? So I'm the one that's like, you know, I mean, my point more broadly is just don't feel like it has to be 50-50. If there's one person that is more suited for it and prefers to do the financial stuff, there might be other things in the household that you pick up more of the slack on and have a meaningful conversation around that. Say, hey, I really don't like doing this stuff and you seem to love it. And I've talked to many couples who are like that. And usually by the natural kind of rhythms of a relationship, the person who doesn't like the financial stuff ends up doing other stuff, right? So they, I'm trying to think of other household duties to name but there's just a lot of other stuff that goes into managing a household and a relationship and so don't feel like financial responsibilities need to literally be 50 50 because that may that may not make sense for many relationships good segue to the next one greg yeah then the next uh tip is compromise and flexibility so just be open to compromise uh, if disagreements arise be flexible in talking through things financial decisions are often not straightforward so just be flexible in your approach And even what you think the solution is. And I think just remembering, too, that people's perspective around money is very ingrained by things they experienced in their childhood, the way they saw their parents handle money. So understand if someone doesn't think about something the same way as you, there's a lot going into that that they might not even realize why their default is to handle something a certain way. So try to really just be patient and understanding. It doesn't mean to allow someone to make poor financial decisions and not talk about it. We're not saying don't address things, don't have those tough conversations. But when you come into them, be flexible, be understanding. Don't just say this is the only solution. And if you don't see this right away, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, another... Another thing I often think about, and again, this is beyond financial advice, is just choose your battles, right? You got to decide how hard you want to push on certain things. I always love the phrase, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? And I'm not saying give up on, do you want to be, I don't want to be right in this example, just so you know. (laughs) I just want to be happy, Greg. 
But wait, you're saying the phrase is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. I just did it backwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just said it backwards. My bad. The phrase is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And and I think that, an, an, again, another way of saying that is choose your battles, right? Because it's just, it's not always worth it. And sometimes one of you needs to back down. And as somebody who is a very strong type A personality, I am often the one that needs to back down. I'll admit that. Would you Would you say that's true, Greg? Well, I would say that you come in with a stronger opinion on certain things than I do often, not not just financially, just in general. There's a a saying about the Maggie's family. Oh, gosh. I didn't come up with this, by the way. The saying is... It's a motto. It's a family motto, motto, which is terrible. This is a terrible family motto to have. It really is. And the the saying is... uh, What is... (laughs) What is the saying? Um, seldom right, right, but never in never doubt. in doubt. Seldom, seldom right, but never in doubt. Yes, and again, terrible family motto. But I, but I, very accurate. When I first heard that, I was like, "Oh, that's funny," but that can't be true. But as I've gotten to know Maggie and her mom and others in her family, they come in, even if it's something they they that's not a something they have expertise, Area of expertise in, and they walk in as if they absolutely know this. Yeah. No doubt in mind until you pull back the covers and you're like, you sure? That doesn't sound well. I, yeah, I honestly I don't, don't know. Yeah, yeah. The answer will be like, yeah, I really don't know now that you. So let me let me ask you a question. On the count of three, Greg, who is the worst at this? One, two, three. Susan My mom. Young. OK, well, you said her name. Same person. Yes. No offense, mom. I love you. You were on last week's episode. No, two weeks ago episode. People loved having her on, by the way. I got so much great feedback. OK, let's keep moving. Let's, okay, let's move on. The next tip is show appreciation and celebrate milestones. So I think a hu- I mean, we talked about vulnerability. Another piece of this is gratitude. So you want to show gratitude and appreciation for progress that your partner's making, but also progress that you're making together as a couple, right? And so this will help to maintain a positive, supportive atmosphere and will continue momentum, like Greg talked about, to be able to have more of these discussions in the future. And the more you talk about this stuff, the better you will get. And the more you're able to learn how to talk about this stuff more effectively, like using the I statements, not putting the other person on the defense, being grateful and showing appreciation when your partner is doing good things. There's just nothing but good and progress that is going to come from that. So I I highly encourage you to show appreciation and really focus on milestones that you all can celebrate, like if you've paid off some debt or you've reached some big goal. Like we had a big thing and we went on that we planned this big six week summer Europe adventure with our kids to celebrate the milestone of us retiring. And that was a something that we planned and talked about and worked on together and was like it was brought us very close together to have this big goal and then to know that once we met it we were going to go do this thing and it was you know it made it a lot more fun because it was something we were doing together and I think through all this you grow so much stronger in your relationship like we talked about at the beginning yeah I totally agree with this one and I think the appreciation is essential I mean there's the I don't know the exact rule but in relationships for every negative comments or negative piece of feedback, you're supposed to provide something like four times the number of positive feedback. I don't know the exact number, you can look it up, but I do think receiving positive feedback from your spouse, especially about financial topics, but all topics, really helps so much. I I know when you thank me for something or say, hey, this you know, you do such a great job with it. I I really do appreciate it. It really makes me feel good and it makes me want to continue to do those things. And then when you do have a, but hey, can we do this differently? Or what did you think about this? Or how can we, I know that it's coming from, you know, a 
not a place of criticism as much as a place of love, but a, hey, let's, yeah, let's try something, something a little yeah. differently. And then celebrating the milestones is essential. Financial planning, goal setting is, is I can't even say it's a marathon because that would still imply there's an end. There really is no end. Even if you hit early retirement, you're still going to talk about finance and how you spend and probably even more so because now, guess what? You don't have any income. Well, and you don't have you're not busy at your job all day. You, you got no income and more time. Yeah. So just still very essential to have those conversations. Yeah. So it's it's a forever thing. So celebrate those milestones because there is no real end to celebrate. Yeah. And look, last but not least is if the DIY approach is not working for you and all of this advice you've tried and you're just hitting a wall with your partner, there's nothing wrong with considering professional help on this. So there are things like money coaches there are or financial coaches they're called many different things there are financial therapists you could just go to a regular therapist because a lot of the problems you may have in communicating about finances are more about how you communicate not the money itself and so a regular therapist could be very helpful but again you can look there are special very focused financial therapists i actually met a couple at fincon this week and uh, was not as aware that that was a specific field by the way Again, also you could go to a financial coach. Again, sometimes just a third party helping, even when it's not a therapist, but they're trained in how to help someone improve their finances can be incredibly helpful if things have become too complex or heated or you're just not making progress on your own. Okay, that was 10 different tips on how to improve financial communication in your relationship. I hope that is helpful for people. And I think we're gonna transition to a little bit about our money story. Hey, before we get into our money story, Greg, I think we should tell people where we're sitting right now. We're in New Orleans. Uh, we were here for FinCon. We are in a hotel room at a, at, a, at a nice hotel. Yeah, an IHG hotel, I'll say also. I'm still very loyal. Right, and so... Well, I was until I got assigned this hotel room. <laughs> Go ahead, what were you going to say? Well, you booked a room that said standard interior. I don't remember any of that, by the way. Yeah. I just remember booking a room a long time ago. Well, and, and, and if you did... To me, when it says standard interior, that would mean the interior is standard. Maybe it's not a... I just thought it was like no special view. Yeah. Even when I reread it after being told that by the front desk. So what does interior mean, it turns out, Greg? It means it's in the interior of the building. Which means there is no... There's no window. There's no window. We've been here for five nights. Luckily, we haven't spent a lot of time in the room. But we don't really want to because there is no window. And it's kind of... It's not enjoyable being in a room with no windows. Yeah. What there is, though, which is a little bit like a slap in the face. Like, I'm not actually sure if I would rather have this versus no window. I think I, I, I like it. Is it growing? I on? think it's helpful. I don't, I would prefer a window, but it's. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, those old school like shower blocks. I don't know what to call them, but they're like glass blocks. I think it's like Miami Art Deco is yeah. what it makes me think I of. I mean, back those... in like the 80s and 90s, this is what they made like yeah. shower walls out of. They're sort of like opaque, not fully see-through glass blocks. So there's a whole thing that's like the shape of a window. And when we got in the room behind it was a bunch of light. So I thought, oh, we're just like right up next to a building and they sort of blocked an, an, an unsightly view that they don't want us to see outside. But that's out, but that's the outside. No, I called the front desk once we got up here. I rarely will like complain about a hotel room, especially having worked in the hotel industry. I just know it's hard for hotels to run a hotel. I don't want to be a nuisance. I'm not, you know, I got fairly simple taste, but I did call 
the lady when we checked in was like uh sorry i wasn't able to offer you an upgrade we're very booked but she had given us some tickets for free drinks and free breakfast and i was like oh no problem i don't usually care if there's an upgrade like we we like sleeping in a smaller bed like we're fine but again i didn't remember that i'd booked an interior room which was probably just the cheapest room at the hotel so but i did call and i said hey there's no window in our room like is there any way we could get another room and she was like um no i'm so sorry we're fully we're, we're just booked like there's nothing i can do and then she said, but that light, she said that, she said, but that, but you've got to, she was like pitching it to me. And again, I thought this was real sunlight behind here. She was like, that's a light that mimics, I don't know what she called it, but the like mimics sunlight. And so she's like, it'll go down at night and then come back up in the morning. So I was like, oh, it is actually mimicking like the sunrise and the sunset. And we've been watching it. It does. It, we had to close the curtains so that we wouldn't get woken up in the morning by the sun, the fake sun rising behind our glass block window. Anyways, it's really weird. This is, this is like an odd hotel room. And the icing on the cake of the no window room was the fake window room with the fake sunlight. So every morning I open it and I'm like, oh, look, at what a beautiful day outside. <laughs> the sun has risen. It's, it's always shining, even if it's cloudy outside. You're right. It we is. have sunshine. It does not adjust to the weather. You're right. Okay. So enough about where we are. We are having, we actually, I had a great time at FinCon. I'm sure I'll talk more about it coming up, but let's get into our money story. So we just talked about all these tips for helping others have good financial communication in their relationships. We have had many people ask more about our money story and kind of how we met. Why don't you share the story of how we met with a little bit of background? Because I think you need that background of just where we came from. Sure. Yeah. So Maggie and I were both previously married. Not to each other, to be clear. Previously married to other people. Both very similar kind of timing in our lives. We were both married right after college. Like within a couple of years of college, we yeah. were married. We, we were married for about 10 years. Both were divorced. Had kids. Got married for 10 years. Had kids. Yes. Yeah. What, I, had, I had one kid. I had two kids with my previous wife. We both got divorced a very similar time frame within, you know, a year of each other and both met post-divorce. We met on a on a dating site, a now defunct dating site. It wasn't site. even a dating app because I think it was before app. There there were apps. But were we it, did it have an app? Was it was not, an actual no, website was, to be clear, which yeah. dates this a little bit. Yeah, this was chemistry.com. Which, no longer in business. Owned by Match.com, but no longer in business. No, and you did a personality test, and then it sort of linked you with people that... So, you know, maybe that actually worked pretty well, because I do think we have a nice personality match. And so we met online, and a lot of texting and then email communication before we met. I, I think there's like a, a funner angle to our online meet. What, cute, meet cute? Is that what they call it? I don't know. Meet cute that you didn't include, though. Oh, okay. Go ahead and share that story. Okay, well, I... So we both were, again, like married for 10 years, had young kids, very young. I mean, I had like a one-year-old. I think you had like a two and four-year-old. I can't do the math, but something like that. And I actually, we both, I think, had very, well, I shouldn't speak for both of us. I had a somewhat unexpected divorce and was going through this like eat, pray, love moment and went on a trip to Barcelona with one of my best girlfriends who had also been through a very recent breakup of a long relationship. And so we were like, I want to go somewhere cool and have this great trip. And it was very much in the like eat, pray, love. If that's a book, if anyone hasn't heard of it, of, you know, you kind of go through this like life crisis and you just want to go. I just wanted to go on this awesome trip with a friend and, and kind of, you know, enjoy life again and, and remember that life is awesome and can be awesome again. And so we went to Barcelona 
I don't know how long I'd been separated at the point, but in Barcelona, my friend and I both created dating profile apps. I'd never been on an online dating app or anything. And we were in different cities though. And so she created, I think she did like OkCupid because she's in San Diego and that was what was hip there or something. I somehow chose chemistry. I have no idea how. I created a profile. We like helped each other with our profiles. While we were in Barcelona, I remember like drinking wine wine one night and doing this and I st- we st- I started looking at like the profile we both did and we were like this is super depressing no, no disrespect to anybody that's on a dating app but this was 10 years ago and it was depressing there were just people that were like posed with their cars I just I just have like all the things I can tell you like not to post pictures of yourself about or to talk about what kind of car you drive in your dating profile I was very like disheartened I was like this is what's out there oh my gosh And so we started this process of making dating profiles and looking at people. And then we immediately made a pact to not look at it for the rest of the trip because we were like, this is depressing and it's going to ruin our trip. So then I get home two weeks later, about maybe a week and a half from the time we created this. And what I always mess up the order of this, Greg, but like... Well, you were still on your trip, actually. Oh. Yeah. And... Wait, I broke my pact. I think so, because I think you were still on the trip when you liked my profile. From my perspective... Oh, I was on the trip when I liked your profile, when I was scanning through the crap. I might have seen like, oh, that guy looks like reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. So you liked my profile. I then liked yours. And a few days later, I got a message from you. I was not a paid member of the site, though. You were on like a free trial. Yeah, I could not read your message. And... I was just sort of having a period where I was, you know, a little down. I just thought, oh, this, this. And um, I was like, I want to read their message, but I was really worried that if I I was going to pay the thing only to see a message that says, oops, sorry, liked your profile by accident. Best of luck out there. My bad. And fortunately, that was not the case. It was a very nice message from you. And, and that led to a really nice exchange of email messages. We, we progressed from the app interface. messaging yeah or, which was yeah. kind of kludgy in it and it we like it erased some of our messages at some point and it didn't work sometimes to we to like, email yeah we exchanged email addresses and then we emailed like a lot like, we, we did would send like long emails before yeah. we ever talked on the phone i think even redlined like i would send a, a thing oh, and yeah. maggie and her true businesswoman style would, <laughs> would redline it and like put responses right into the body of the i was like wow this woman means business i like it <laughs> Also, in an overlap, because I was probably traveling with a friend while creating my profile, I had a very like, I I was like, I will only date anyone that lives very close to me because I really like my community and I'm not moving. And I somehow matched what you were like an hour. He was in this this sort of suburb of Atlanta that's like an hour away. And I hadn't like set the right filter because I was new to this thing. And so we wouldn't even have gotten matched if I had properly set the filter that I meant to set. So there's a lot of like cool things. And then we very quickly learned maybe after we went on a first date, did we learn that you were good? You were friends with one of my best friend's husbands, who I've also known since college. You like live next door to in college and we're good friends with. And, and then like we just made we found all the like through Facebook you realize all these like random connections and so um, it was just yeah it was a it was a cute meet story or meet cute which I think sometimes people use that term that was a long story the person who asked for us to share how we met might have just regretted asking for that but I do remember Greg that at one point I asked you what kind of car you drive and I was like I'm asking that because I feel like you can learn a lot about someone by asking what car they drive not because I'm in any way superficial to be clear and I drove a Prius at the time and guess what Greg drove a Prius and I was like "Ooh, 
like a guy that drives a Prius. It's a good sign. He's practical and he likes the environment. Super sexy in my opinion. So bringing this down to our money story specifically, I think because we had both been divorced, we were both very conscious of money. Divorce can be expensive just because you're taking one household and splitting it into two. So regardless of the specifics of anyone's divorce, whoever's involved, it's it's a it's a financial it heavily impacts you financially. It's usually a financial burden yes. for 99% of people, I would say. And so it really makes you rethink how you handle your money and it gives you, you know, is Tough as divorces in many ways, it does at least give you an opportunity to reset your spending habits because now you're on your own and you can make decisions about how you want to spend your money, how you want to save, and in dealing with the new financial reality you find yourself in. Yeah, I think divorce in general is like a huge reset process where not just financial, but everything. There's so many people that end up making some really big changes in their life post-divorce because they've just, it's its a wake-up call for them. It's all sorts of things. But yeah, I think you're right. We we talked about money probably faster or, or, or earlier in our relationship because, well, one, we were just older. We were in our 30s. So there was, it was, I don't know. I have more to talk about in my 30s about money than I had in my 20s, perhaps. Right. But yeah, also, we were both established. We both yeah, had houses and houses, children, Careers. Professional careers. We both had saved money. And I think that's one thing we, through those early discussions, found is that while neither of us were really particularly aware of FIRE and didn't have goals to retire dramatically early, we both were good savers. We both, despite having been through divorce, had savings valued savings, valued saving for retirement. And so I think that was a good match. We both felt like, oh, these we, we are people that are responsible with money in general. Neither of us were walking in with massive debt or very different ideas about spending. I think we both valued experience over things. And I think, but we, we, I think we both also kind of further enhance that in ourselves. I think as we both talked and we were able to say long before we even, I think, said, let's retire early and follow fire. Which, we, which just to clarify, was not something we knew about or was a goal of ours when we met. Right, that right. Was, that came later in our relationship. It was. But I think even early on, though, we talked about the fact that we wanted to prioritize experience over material things. Yeah. We, we, we both were clear that we weren't people that wanted to make a lot of money to, you know, buy bigger houses and, and continue to escalate the material things in our lives. But we wanted to both travel a lot. We wanted to do fun things with our kids. And so I think we had that in common, but I think we also kind of built that vision together it's like yeah. we came in similarly and then i think together we really enhanced this vision of how we wanted to live our lives well and i think another thing i i've always had a theory that people that are from similar socioeconomic backgrounds are it is easier for them I, i'm not saying they're necessarily more suited for each other but it is easier for them to create a life together because they do come from similar experiences and have similar expectations and i think that was the case for us i mean even in terms of like what we valued and liked like we weren't going out i mean we were we had like a, we went to a lot of concerts and we did a lot of fun dates and stuff like that but like i didn't want to go out to expensive restaurants and you didn't really either and not that we didn't value a nice meal every now and then but we as much value just hanging out and doing stuff out 
outdoors and you know we both like like I, I remember you were going on a like solo hiking trip when we first met and I thought that was really cool that you were doing that and like just a very I was like oh that sounds like my kind of person you know and I think we just valued similar things and I, I quickly learned and again I, I make that kind of joke about you driving a Prius and you said something about you know we, we weren't trying to get a bigger house and you know do all of these bigger things and again no fault to anybody who is I'm just saying for us we were very suited and I think we realized in addition to you know liking each other and being attracted to each other and all the other things that are important in a relationship we had similar financial expectations and goals and interests in life and hey what's that piece of advice your friend who gave you I always think about it when we talk about like money met well I had a friend as I was going through divorce he had been divorced several years prior and was just really helpful in thinking about things and you know everything from as you're coming out of the divorce just get to cash flow positive which seems basic but coming out of a divorce it's tough because all of a sudden like I said your your household sort of expenses are doubled but your incomes aren't and so that was a really good piece of advice and then even when we were talking about dating he said don't you know don't worry about impressing yeah don't worry about impressing other people when it comes to financial things. And he said, I drive a Honda Civic. Yeah, there are probably some women that aren't interested in dating me because I don't drive a fancy car. Those aren't women I want to date. And again, that seems pretty basic, but having someone who's been there kind of already doing that and having some success, and there are women out there that don't care about what kind of car you drive. It's really reassuring because it can be easy to sort of get caught up in thinking about, well, am I ever going to meet someone? If I am, I guess I better, you know, show them that I have a nice car and I eat it in nice places and I... I can I can wine and dine them. Exactly. Give them a nice life. Exactly. Yeah. I always like, I just, you always tell that story of that friend. And I always, when I hear that from someone, I'm always like, oh, that's someone I'm just, I, you know, it's kind of my people. Okay, so that that's like the story of how we met and a little bit about just the the early pieces of financial stuff. We'll hit a couple other things and then wrap this up. So I don't even, I, people ask me this all the time, Greg, and you know I have a terrible memory. You have a better memory than me. But like when did, when what's your recollection of when we started talking about FIRE and more, more shorter term goals to exit stressful jobs that we yeah. had? Yeah. Well, I think there was a couple things. I, I was pretty unhappy at work and frequently talked about wanting to leave and maybe start another career and maybe that career was going to make less money, but hopefully I would I would be happier. So I know that was kind of a conversation that was happening. And then at the same time, I think I think our I think you started mentioning it. I think you were exposed to it through perhaps uh, rich, rich and, and regular, regular working work, with yeah. them. I think you maybe then started listening to some content. My initial reaction was, well, that's probably too good to be true. But I think as we started to dig in more and then certainly, you know, you becoming friends with Mike at work and really talking more about fire, I think through all of that, I think it, it became something we started to really believe could be in our, yeah. in our future. And for me personally... I knew that I was going to need to do something. And when it actually became a viable option of I keep working for a while, but, you know, shorter amount of time, and then I can actually retire as opposed to having to shift to another career, yeah. that all of a sudden became very appealing as opposed to I'm going to quit now and then have to do something. Yeah. I'm going to stick with this for, you know, a few more years, a few more years yeah. and save 
as much as I can. I think that's where it just started to really become a reality yeah. for us of this is possible. We could actually do this because we were good savers prior to becoming fire adherents. Yeah. We were already good savers. So we had a strong foundation and then we just really double, triple down yeah. on what we were saving. We were good savers, but I wasn't a good investor. I didn't know where to invest or how to invest. And so I, I've said many times, like I didn't start really investing until I was like 35, 30, I think 36. And, and, and we were together at that point. But the other thing that's interesting, because someone asked me this the other day, is that there, this wasn't like one conversation we had, right? This was like a slow burn of just, slow burn sounds bad, but... Uh, slow realization. Slow realization a- of like, we were slowly building upon conversations. And it's not like, you know, we had a five-year plan where we were like, okay, we, we had this conversation in five years, we're going to quit our jobs. There were many times where we were like... I don't know. I mean, I might work another seven years. I, I don't, you know, and, and some of it was like, we were still kind of figuring out the math. We were still looking at how our investments were growing. And I will say like a lot changed in like five years, even of just from when we started getting, there were a few years that we were very aggressive about tracking our expenses and saving as much as we possibly could. And when we spend more now as a family than we did, you know, in some of those kind of middle years together, and we were very focused on a goal and we didn't have an exact date in mind, but we were just like, let's, sock away as much as we can and let's get as aggressive as we can and let's invest a lot and we were both getting really aggressive with our company's deferred compensation plans and so we were living on very little and it just made we just kind of both and it was fun because we were both going through it together and I Mm -hmm. feel like it was like it's funny thinking thinking about it now and kind of looking back upon it it was a big experience that we both went through that was a, a cool shared experience that I think bonded us and you know brought us closer together as we were still building out our relationship and engaged and then getting married and you know all of these things but a couple other things so I think just for the sake of time we can shift to just a couple of things about like our money structure because we we talked about all these conversations and we have weaved this into various podcasts so this may not be a surprise for some of our more active listeners but we do have separate finances I think we said it earlier in the episode I think for both of us coming out of a divorce it's just I don't know for me especially I I had separate finances in my previous marriage too and it it just worked for me I've done we've done entire episodes where we talk about the benefits of separate finances versus combined finances I think either can work for people I think the most important thing is being transparent and again we have separate finances but we are probably way more transparent and talk about our finances way more than people who have combined finances but don't actually like look at stuff and talk about stuff and so I think sometimes separate finances has a stigma that it's truly like separate and that you don't see what the other person's doing and like that is not we we track things separately and we have many different accounts in our own name stuff like that but we're incredibly transparent aligned on our talk of yeah. make decisions together about individual things and even though we track our I guess our savings and investments and have separate accounts, all of our expense tracking is together. So we have one mint account that all of our accounts go into, and that allows us, you know, full transparency into our spending as a whole and individually. We can take all that spending, we can break it down and say, you know, what is joint spending? What is Maggie spending? What is Greg spending? We really have a lot of detail into it. So that that really helps. So as Maggie said, not to belabor the point, our separate finances are very transparent and 
together in, in, in many ways as far as how we think about spending. Yeah. I mean, they're so transparent that I can't buy you something as a surprise without you knowing about it. I, I have to pay cash or get my mom to buy it because otherwise you'll see it before it even arrives. Okay. The other thing we have that we've been very open about is we have a prenup, right? We both were divorced. I was very pro prenup just because, I mean, my biggest thing about a prenup is Everybody out there that's married already has a prenup. It's called your state's laws. And so the laws are different in every state in terms of what happens when you get divorced and what, what the sort of standard approach is. If you don't have a prenup, you're allowing your state to decide what happens in your marriage. If you do have a prenup, you're having a thoughtful, informed discussion with somebody that you love about what you think makes sense and what you think is fair. And I'll give you an example, right? I had paid off my mortgage pretty much fully by the time, well, bef definitely fully before we got married, but by the time we met almost, I had paid off most of it. And that was something that, you know, you, you, I came into the marriage with a pretty large asset that was, you know, mine solely. And that's the kind of stuff you might note in a prenup is if we ever, I hope we don't ever, but if we ever weren't married, I would leave with that same asset, right? And there are things like that that you define in a prenup. And I just am very pro prenup. We have an entire episode on Friends on Fire, episode 174, where we talk about prenups and how they're not just for the rich and famous. And we actually have an, a real attorney come on who did our prenup and does prenups. And I'm just very pro prenup. Yeah, they, they really are important. And it what they are, it's communication. I mean, it is the putting that communication into a contract, but it all gets back to communication. And so talking about your assets before, you know, as you come into that marriage, and hopefully you won't ever have to exit that marriage. But if you do, you're kind of having that communication up front as to what's yours and what's mine. And so I think it's just, it's a very open part of communication. Not saying it it's needed for everyone, but it's certainly something to consider and certainly shouldn't have the stigma that it tends to have attached to it. There's also postnups, by the way. Hey, I don't, this is the last thing on prenups real quick. I Someone just, just this week at FinCon, I was talking to about prenups and they made a comment that they heard they're not always held, they don't always hold up in court. It's, things can still get decided differently if there was a divorce. And I was like, yeah, well, all contracts are like that. You know, you sign that waiver at camp or anywhere where you do something dangerous where you're like, I won't sue if I die, you know, if someone gets hurt or dies doing this. That doesn't mean you actually can't sue, by the way. That's just like, it, it goes into the case, but it, you in no way stops you from being right. able to sue anybody so the thing about prenups is they were sort of questioning prenups as a result of that statement of like does it really hold up and does it really matter and i was like look even if you're by the way they often do just to clarify but even if they didn't my point was the process you have to go through to create a prenup the conversations you have to have with someone that you're in love with at that point you should be if you're having this conversation are incredibly important and i actually think they're an interesting test if you can't have that conversation about what you think is fair and right if you were to have to dissolve a relationship yeah, if you can't do it when you're in the bliss of getting yeah. married then imagine how bad it's going to be on the other yeah, end you probably don't want to marry that person and yeah. i know that sounds like a big statement but i'm like look that's a flag if you cannot forget the legal document and whether it holds up in court or anything else if you can't have a conversation with your partner about all of your assets and what would happen to them if you got divorced or what you think is fair while you're in love huge red flag. you know i hate to say stuff like oh you shouldn't get married but that's a big red flag right and so as controversial as prenups can be, and as many people think it's a sign that you don't like love and trust somebody, I think that's uh, not true. And go listen to the Old Friends on Fire episode where we explain more of why we think. I actually think it's more of a sign of love to create a prenup. That would be my argument. But go listen to that episode if you want to hear more about it. Anyways, I'm pro prenups. I talk about it all the time. 
Okay. We should wrap this up, huh, Greg? I think so. I think it's time. Yeah. I love you. Well, I love you too, hon. Hey, it is really helpful if you enjoyed this conversation and if you enjoy our podcast to go leave us a written review on Apple Podcast, or you can also go leave us a rating on Spotify. But it's particularly helpful to get that written review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the podcast. And then we also really appreciate it if you share this episode with other people. And you know a great person that you should share this episode with, Greg? Your spouse or spouse-to-be? Your partner, whoever you're with, yes. We may say like spouse or marriage. We might have used words like that throughout. But like all of this stuff applies when you're in a dating relationship, when you've got a partner, however you've decided to structure your relationship. But... We just think it's, you know, having these conversations about money is so important. So we encourage you to share this episode with your partner. It could be a great way to initiate the first conversation and say, hey, go listen to this. It really inspired me that we should have more conversations about money. And then the first conversation you have about money can be what you thought about this podcast. There might be things you guys liked, didn't like, agree with, don't agree with. And like, let that start the conversation of what makes sense for you guys. And we hope that's helpful because it's why we're doing this. And it's things that have been helpful to us in our lives. And honestly, just having this conversation to me is helpful. Just recapping tips and good practices and it makes sort of reinforces the things we are doing well and the things we maybe need to, you know, continue to make sure we, we, yeah. we have. So I really hope this is helpful for people. You can never communicate too much. And I think communicate early and often and just consistently do it. I think that's such a key part of any relationship, finance or other topics. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, you can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any thoughts or questions, we always love to hear from you. I reply to all these messages and you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370 or you can hit us up on Instagram. Okay, Greg, thank you for sitting in this windowless room with me. And hey, good news. In about an hour, we get to leave this windowless room and go back to our house that is full of windows. That's exciting. And we're going to be on an airplane. The airplane has windows. The airport has windows. Mostly the whole world has windows, except for interior rooms, interior hotel rooms. So beware when you book an interior hotel room. It's like someone (laughs) compared it to an interior cruise ship room. Okay, we're out of here, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.